Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Max Rayner explains why he started investing in supported living. He discusses the challenges of converting HMOs to a C2 classification as care homes for people with mental health support needs. He shares his powerful motivation and why he thinks supported living works better than private rental HMOs. Hi, Max. It's great to have you here today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, You are the first person I've appeared on their podcast with my new snazzy headset. So I'm I'm looking forward to the crisp output of this. (laughs) It does sound good. good. (laughs) I feel like a football referee or like, (laughs) you know, when you see in the boxing and they've got the people in the headsets of the thing on. I feel like one of those today. It does it looks really impressive so yeah well done. well thank you that's great we're glad we're glad to experience the technology for people who don't know you max do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a bit about you yeah uh, so hi my name's max rayner um i'm not actually on loads of podcasts um i've been on a few but i do think quality over quantity oh, don't you think lisa yeah. so just you select know, the you, best yeah just select the best one yeah. um i uh, i've just turned 28 uh, about a week ago uh started in property 11 years ago but I became an accidental landlord my father passed away um and my first sort of seed into property was me and my sister inherited his house he had a one-bed house and we rented it out and that was about all I knew for a while um fast forward uh to 2017 I set up Stuart Clinton Property Limited with my business partner um and the reason it's called Stuart Clinton Property and not got my name in it is because my best friend uh from school Alex his dad passed away as well so Stuart is my dad's name Clinton is Alex's dad's name and it felt fitting to name the business um after the two guys that really were the reason that we got into property in the first place not solely for a tiny and I mean a tiny cash injection. We didn't start with a lot. I'll, I'll put that one out there. Um, but the the why we wanted to um, live an alternative lifestyle and, and do the things that we're doing. Um, so yeah, Strictly into Property started in 2017 after formal uh, property education. We then uh, started on the HMO mission, like pretty much everyone does when they realize that you can make more money than a buy to let. So we started on HMOs, (laughs) Uh, not slagging them off. They're great. And they've done great things to me. Um, And I know other people that are absolutely killing it in that industry. So not slagging it off, but it does appear to be the first thing that everyone gets into. Um, We didn't have a passion for it, really. Um, and uh so fast forward to 2020 uh, we got into supported living and care um because it really resonated with who we were what we'd been through um and we then had a real fire in our bellies to provide the best properties we can for people so since the turning point of the business in 2020 um that's where we've been focusing and um our goal is to house 200 vulnerable people by 2025 which is a big goal. It's about 45 units a year ish. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a big goal. But I love it. Brilliant. So, well, there's no point in uh, we've smashed every goal that we've that we've set so far. So um, it needed to be bigger this time. 
fantastic and what a great goal thank you yeah so so you said you got into sort of supported living and care mm. in 2020 tell us a bit more about that and what what that looked like and what happened right so uh 2020 was the the lockdown the 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 covid uh year and i remember i was working from home at the time i didn't have a little snazzy office like this i call it a little snazzy office it's not a big one but it does what it does what we need it to do um and we I just saw I was we we only had HMOs working professional HMOs at this point and I could see you know there was a few people slipping up on rent and there was um people leaving we had the most amount of rooms vacant and I was already getting pissed off am I allowed to swear on here yeah you're allowed to <laughs> I was already getting a bit pissed off with um the the support uh, the uh, working professional HMO style because we were spending a lot of money on high end property um, and people just weren't treating them to the standard that we would expect them to be treated to we were spending a lot more money on repairs um, you know the churn was very high and then added with lockdown we, I just I just didn't think the business was robust enough I thought if we were to go through this again you know could we could we hack it? Because it got to the point where Alex and I really um, sacrificed our salaries to just make sure that the business stayed afloat and, you know, everyone was paid, um, but no one really got, everyone got paid apart from us really. So we started looking at all, so, so we were already a bit annoyed um, and a bit sort of fed up with HMOs at that point. And then we started to look at alternative ways of um, letting our properties out. And that's where, we first started to look at the supported living and care sector because you know the you can have any size of property and any type of property and which not many people realize for supported living and care but um the hmo model seemed to be quite a popular model um to start or there was very little adaptations would i say that we had to make to our properties to make them suited to supported living and care we liked the fact that we were entering into leases. So that was the big benefit for us because it was guaranteed income um, and it was the same amount every month. Whereas obviously when you've got HMOs, you can put, you can go into cash flow issues because you could have some big expenses some months and you never know what's definitely coming in until it comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we enter into full repair and maintenance leases, which basically means um, that all of the bills and maintenance of the property are handled by the tenant, be it a care operator or a housing association. And then um, we get the same amount of rent every month, no matter what. And we liked that because <laughs> it's, um, a, it, it's a great result, isn't it? When you've been used to managing HMOs and you've got like you talk about that churn rate. I think that's one of those things, isn't it? That when you, you're never told about when you get into yeah. HMOs. Oh, yeah, it's great. Look at this big profit. But actually an empty room for a few weeks pretty soon eats into your yeah. profits, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what I will add. Um, so that so we got into it at the beginning and it's like everything when I think you find your passion we got into it at the beginning for the money so the the sole reason was we need to protect our cash flow we need to make some more money how how do we do it right and then we quickly realized once we started speaking to care operators and we actually went on tours around a lot of different um types of uh, supported living and care properties be it residential care homes I saw some supported living sites and I actually got to see the spec and how happy the people were that lived there it then quickly became about 
crap, there's actually like a bigger purpose here than just ourselves making money. Um, and then it like all these feelings came up with, you know, the mental health issues that Alex and I had gone through as, as young um, adult males losing their, their fathers who, you know, are like your role model. And we have definitely grown up with a sense of no direction. We've not really had anyone show us what to do. Property is a new, um, is a new sort of venture for the, for the, our family names. No one's really done it before. And we've just had to go out and do everything ourselves and, you know, figure out, life by ourselves that mm-hmm. most guys would learn from their dads right um and that was where um we quickly sort of restructured the business and set our goals and you'll hear us talk about we we, we talk about the amount of people that we're going to help as opposed to how much money we're going to make um, and not many people talk about that in property most people set monetary goals mm-hmm. um and the reason we don't is, and, and look, of course, we're not living in fairyland. Of course, we know how much we need. And we've got like a, a solid business model behind us because sure you, yeah. you need to know that. But yeah. um, we just know that if we do a good job and we house 200 vulnerable people by 2025, money will be the byproduct of doing a good job. So we don't have a, a big financial goal. We have a person goal because then it's passion driven and we are really, really dedicated to helping people. Um, and if obviously if we help the people, then we'll have a successful business. And that's how we view it as opposed to going, Oh, I need, um, you know, I need, I need 15 properties cash flow in this every month. And, blah, 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 mm. you know, cause I don't, I, I think success truly comes from when you, you follow a passion. Yeah. Um, and just, um, and probably the reason you've invited me on actually is because we have just opened two new care homes and have been putting it over social media quite a bit. That we're really proud of. Um, and they were tough. They were really say, tough. T- tell us a bit about those. So what kind of properties are you talking about? So, you know, you talked about your HMOs. Were these existing HMOs that you've then repurposed for care providers? Is that, or are they new properties that you've brought in? Uh, new, new properties. So sorry, we've, our, our current portfolio is still HMOs, funnily mm-hmm. enough. Um, and actually it's important to keep the diversity. So we probably will keep the, the HMOs mm-hmm. that we've got. Um, they're, I think they're definitely easier in the exit later if you needed to sell um a hmo is definitely well i think an hmo I, from my experience a hmo is easier to sell than like an empty care home or like a older care home not maybe not necessarily but that's probably you know i just like having that resi stock and then the commercial stock it's I, think, just like, I think diversity is always good isn't it yeah exactly it's interesting so you're talking about these being care homes rather so t- tell us about the properties what do you mean when you're um so you know who who's living in the properties what do you need to do to the properties sure so um we first of all we found our tenant first um so the we got really close with a few care providers in the midlands um and we because it for us it wasn't it was it was about the people from the beginning so we needed to be comfortable with them we went to view all of their or most of their stock they had to see the sorts of care that was being provided um, and then we said, hey, well, well, what do you need? And they say, well, actually, we need this at the moment. There's there's lots of demand here. So the the, the need at the time was for women, uh, young women with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and this care provider were on the framework for the council uh, that were being passed all the referrals um, from there. So but he didn't have the property. So we then got his specification and we basically went shopping for care provider um, that's how we did it so we picked up two properties actually one post auction one pre-auction um, one of them the larger one was a um, 
14 bedroom student HMO um, that had been converted from a uh, old B&B because it was right by the station in Coventry. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a four bedroom end terrace Victorian house with planning for a HMO. Um, right. And um, these these need both needed planning permission. We needed to convert them into C2 um, as they would need uh, for the type of care that was being provided. It needed to be um, C2. Uh, but, so they were classed as residential care homes. And that's where it's um, different from some of the supported yes, living. Because a, a lot yeah. of the supported living keeps that C3, sure. that residential classification, doesn't it? But, sure. It falls under the same umbrella of the, mm, of the types absolutely. of people that are going to be in there. But it really just falls down to the type of care that's being mm. provided and how much care is being provided. so in the these instances there's 24-hour care um there's off there's staff on site 24 7 and there's an office for staff on site 24 7 and Um, i think the other thing that's different max if i'm right is the tenancy arrangements with the tenants in there yes so that's what with the care home that's what's different exactly so our yeah so supported living there will be a housing association in place whereas for this um, it's a triangle between us, the care operator and the council. So the council refer the tenants straight to the operator and then we have a lease with the operator. Mm-hmm. Whereas quite often you'd have a lease with a housing association um, or an RP or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both the same thing, aren't they? Right. Yeah. So, um, really, yeah. So, um, yeah and, uh, and then the care operator is secondary. So in supported living, what that basically means is, is that the care operator can change if the tenant's not getting along with them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in our instance, um, they, it will remain the same operator and the tenants will, will come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it tends to be a bit more of a shorter term, um, of living because these people enter like a life skills program and then basically the idea is is to get them out into supported living which would be the next stage um, oh. which hopefully we can then complete that's our next sort of right okay um, brilliant yeah so um, we'd like to do fun. the full circle yeah um so what we liked and again you have to have an exit plan of all of these we we needed planning permission um, and everyone knows that planning permission is not guaranteed and how long it takes is as long as a piece of string um so um, first of all, because we were doing HMOs and we knew, we knew the market very well because we were doing them and we'd learned from our mistakes and we kind of knew, OK, this is what we need to do to stop churn and up rents and get better people in and, and whatnot. So they all stacked up as HMOs and they didn't need planning for that. One of them had a planning for it already in place for a seven bed. The other one already was. Um, so our fallback was to do HMOs. Um, but then the numbers were a lot better as a care home and obviously you know they were riding on our mission which was to help house vulnerable people which you're not going to do in a hmo mm-hmm. unless you go into like lha stuff um but but yeah that's we we our idea is being hands-off investors as well um because the, the, the company is really twofold it's to help other people um but it's also to fulfill our own lifestyles that both of our fathers didn't get to live which is you know having the freedom to to work and play um, whenever you like um so yeah uh managed to uh, uh but also sorry what gave us the confidence to buy these two properties is um we got an agreement for lease in place with the care provider before purchase so that just gave us the confidence to go and buy it for them mm-hmm. although we didn't have to do that because they did work as hmos but it, it just gave us a little bit more certainty mm-hmm. um to do so so yeah we created an 11 the 14 bed turned into an 11 bed 
um every single room we create we ask ourselves the question would we live in this room um so the 11 bed could have become uh a 12 and potentially a 13 but they wouldn't have been big rooms and we want them to be sustainable and we want the tenants to be happy so um we decided to 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 do it as 11 large rooms with with en suites um when i say large they're all uh 12 meters squared and above every okay. room not including the ensuite so the ensuites are extra yeah um and the same uh the same with the, the smaller one as well so that had planning for a seven bed and we actually kept it as a six mm-hmm. um but the care operator is happy um the commissioners from the council have been around and love it all so to us that's that's good and the fact that they met our numbers as a six and it met our numbers as an 11 as opposed to like a seven and a 12 mm-hmm. 13 you know why push those boundaries further when you can cause issues down the line and so also- a lot of the operators want a bit more communal space. Was that yeah, the case? of course they do. Yeah, yeah, so they both have. Um, so the eleven bedroom has um, a very large uh, living area. Um, that's probably our favourite photo. There's pictures of that on Instagram of the mm. massive sofa and the TV, and it's designed really well. It's almost you wouldn't. It wouldn't be much different to a, your own living room at home. Like mm. we love it, and then it's got a separate dining area again, which is large, and then they have ample um communal state space outside um so we've built like a shelter we've built um a massive garden i can't remember the square footage because it was just car park before right um so we so we provided them with that then the other one the smaller one we actually decided to build an outbuilding um so they have an outbuilding space they've got communal tv room upstairs and they also have a kitchen diner so um we try and really you know push all that and we would have had to sacrifice some of that um if we made it into a seven bed but Mm. we just again we decided not to so it hasn't been easy isn't it max you know (laughs) yeah exactly but that's that's where this industry is going and we want to set the president as being known as a company that you know isn't just churning these properties out but we actually care so Mm. quality is that is one of our highest goals for every property as well as um you know room sizes and you know basically quality of life these people need to have right really really important so you had to get the c2 planning Mm -hmm. how was that was that fairly smooth process was it bumpy how did you find that process uh yeah, it was all right. It was, I mean, it was okay. Uh, one of them flew through. Um, you don't realize the amount of surveys that need to be done um, that are just like unnecessary in our opinion. But tell us um, what kind of surveys were they then? What kind so, of surveys? Um, so, what did we have to do? We, we had. Um, we had a guy do a parking survey on one of the properties who basically stood outside for three nights counting cars, um, even though, you know, it's in the city centre, you're walking distance to everywhere. Um, it, it, that one was just, I felt it's common sense, but there are tick box exercises. Mm-hmm. The other one had to have a noise survey, even though um, it was already being used for 14 people and we were dropping it down to 11. So we were actually doing a favour mm-hmm. and, um so so that one needed uh, a microphone in in the house and outside which it all passed we had to do an air pollution survey um so i guess they're all standard practices but they're just things that we were like as people that have decided that we're going to change the direction of the company and you never needed it for hmos and the fact that i don't know about you but every single survey these days seems to be a grand like you yeah. can't get a cheaper it's always survey four than a figures. grand yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> 
um so yeah there was yeah there were some surveys that needed to be done um and you know putting in electric car points and all that which is you know it's fine because we know that the ele- that the sustainable side's not a problem but it was just some curveballs that you know we probably from the real side of property yeah. that no one really talks about no, but and you I get hit you, with them until you do them exactly and I think that's the thing when you're talking logically about that being oh. going down in number of tenants in the property mm. you know already having planning for that number of people it's not like you were taking something that yeah. was an office block and converting it you know yeah. so yeah I can understand your frustration with yeah. it absolutely but um but you did get the planning and that all we got the planning we did all the surveys Fantastic. and um yeah one of them was quite easy one of them came through really quick. By the way, we did both these projects in six months from purchase to completion. So oh, yeah. we, we smashed it with that. Mm. Um, we, the, the one went through with flying colours. The other one put us to squeaky bum time because we were on bridges with these purchases. Mm. And um, we decided there was that tipping point where we were fully committed to C2 and we were like, this isn't going to be a HMO anymore because we could have just stopped when the refurb was yeah. done for ages and we were waiting yeah. on the planning. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, we got to the point where we're like, right, this is definitely going to be a care home now. The planning's gone through for mm-hmm. one. It should fly through for this one. And the guy from the council was just taking a, like absolutely ages to get back to us. And we were like, what's going on? not answering our calls, not answering our emails. So he'd taken our application to a point and then all of a sudden told us that he was leaving the council. So oh. he would have known for that whole like pro like six weeks. Yeah. He basically lost us like six weeks because right. he would have known. And he, yeah. instead of passing it on to someone, he just so dragged it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the guy that we worked with on the last one jumped in and he was great. So, oh, okay. That's good. Um, Having that good relationship. Yeah. yeah. That's important. So the planning, any, um, the planning wasn't too hard. I think where, we struggled and learned most of our lessons on this is like from the refinance side mm-hmm. um lenders don't for some ever, for, for for some reason lenders don't really like these types of properties and they certainly won't um refinance to the same levels as you can with resi and hmos and stuff like that which we did know but even when we were looking down at like the 50 percent loan to value stuff there were so many hoops that we had to jump through so many banks messing us around there are a handful of specialist banks and even those guys can be tough to deal with um so that was like a learning curve for us um it's a continual frustration mm. you know i know i talk about it all the time you'll have heard me bang on about it max but it's a continual frustration for me as to why this is such a challenge and i think i think it is beginning to i I think mm. we're beginning to see the tipping point of some change Mm. and i'm hoping that over the next few years it will become much better Um, i I agree the more we talk about it the more people think oh i don't have a problem you know. But the amount of times I've bumped heads with like underwriters and brokers and relationship managers of the banks who all agree with me. I'm like, at the end of the day, providing you've, you've got a solid because I think their their issue is, is the is the is the provider solid is the yeah. you know, is the, and they, they do a lot of due diligence into them. But if the provider's solid um and you know you've got a you've got a, a lovely long lease and the mm. providers have provided you with all their accounts and their their company's house and everything is mm. ticking a box this is less risky than doing a hmo like why on uh, like it just it baffles me like the, yeah. the, the money's pretty much coming from the government in one way or another yeah. these people will not get kicked out on the street even if the operator went bust and there was um, a bit of commotion, they will get replaced by another operator. These people won't just get booted out on the streets. 
And all they keep, the banks keep thinking, well, if you default and we pull your loan, then we're we're basically kicking these people out on the streets. But it won't happen because there'll be someone else that comes in. And it's, I'm sure you've had the same conversation. uh, Well, I also, I bang the other part of it. Why is, you know, I, I, I classically say this, you know, the young man with learning disabilities in one of my properties, why is he more vulnerable than the single one with three small children in one of yeah. my other properties? But yeah. banks view the tenants very differently and mm-hmm. they talk about reputational risk. And yeah, like you say, yeah. it's something we won't solve overnight. But the more we talk about it, the more hopefully we'll we'll start at getting some change into yeah. the space. But you're right. It is something to highlight and, and for everyone to be aware of it because it is such a big issue. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other advice or tips or anything for property investors looking to come into this space, Matt? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I think you need to get educated for sure um, if you want to save a bit of money and a bit of stress. Um, we actually um, met through your support living gateway, Lisa, didn't we? And mm, Alex and right. I, yeah. Alex and I reached out to you and decided to join, but we joined mm. like mid project. So there was, um, yeah, we were going through the stresses of a project and trying to play catch up, but, but we definitely took some golden nuggets and, um, it, you know, you guys helped us massively. Um, oh, but there, you know, there was there was a bit of self-taught stuff at the beginning. Mm, and, and there was some stuff in hindsight that if we'd have known, um, it could have saved some some hassle for sure. Mm. Um, but I do think it's an industry where um, you need to do it right. So um, don't come in thinking about the money. Come in think if you if you genuinely care for people and you've got a passion, um and 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 you want to create good properties for them then you will make money mm-hmm. but if you come in with the money mindset um i think you're going to get frustrated because you you do i think you you do if we look at our deals we make a better return on these properties than we do on our our um private sector stuff um but we um we have to jump for a lot more hoops. So they've been, they've been more stressful to do than HMOs, but if you get them right and you're in it for the right reasons, then the reward is, is 10 times because we now can proudly say that last year we had um, a portfolio of HMOs with like working professionals that were just annoying us. We now have two care homes of 17 vulnerable people that didn't have a home before. Um, And that feels a lot more, um, I feel a lot more proud saying that and a mm. lot more that like half of my reward is is that in itself you know yeah it's something to be really proud of isn't yeah. it and it's making a real difference to people and yeah, yeah definitely that's, that's what's so powerful about it thank you Max it's been great no problem to today thanks ever so much bye see ya